and I'm part of, I guess, the Holy Cross MC, but we actually are currently meeting in Fountain Square, so we have a bit of an identity crisis, but we meet downtown, um, <laughs> and uh, we're going to be reading in Ephesians today, so it's Ephesians 3, it is in uh, page 977 in the Black Bible, so if you want to uh, grab a Black Bible close to you, um, I'll give everybody a second to get there. And it's Ephesians 3, verse, verses 20 through 21. So Ephesians 3, 20 uh, through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. My name is Ken. I'm one of the pastors here at Soma. And if you're here or if you've been here before, you know that a lot of times uh, I get to occupy the the preaching space. And uh, that's one of the ways that I get to serve the church. But uh, another way that we uh, often want to be a church is by um, equipping the body to do the work of ministry. That's a series we just started last week. And uh, it looks like... Um, everybody looking like they have a partner role to play to unify and to uh, minister to one another. Um, not being like a one server in the midst of a restaurant with a ton of customers, as I heard one pastor once give an analogy of, but rather uh, we all come and we all are part of the family. We're all part of the body. We all have a, a space to contribute. Um, and so uh, we do that by giving spaces just for people to continue to train up in giftings um, and develop in giftings, uh, such as the gifting of teaching, um, which uh, Dave Seibel, who's one of our uh, members, a, a deacon, a mission community leader, um, and just, a, you know, has been here as long as I have, really, at SOMA, and uh, is taught a, a few times is also a teacher locally, however, just became an administrator uh, recently. So... Uh, is in the education profession, is teaching is something that he does regularly. And so we're going to give him space here to teach on Sunday. So he'll be continuing our series uh, looking at the body and looking at uh, the, uh, what it takes to do the work of ministry, which is not training uh, necessarily, not necessarily this uh, hard, uh, fast equipping or ordination before a people or before a body, but rather um, a call to, to love one another. And uh, this week we're talking about it takes prayerfulness and a prayerful dependency on God. So I'll allow Dave to come and pray uh, and then and preach for us. Am I on? Okay. Usually when I move this, it breaks. Okay. Let's pray. God, we are your body that you've knit together by the blood of Christ. Sometimes we say church is like a family, but really the picture in your word, God, is that we are a family. I pray that through Ephesians 3.20 this morning, you would cast a vision before us that we need to be who we are, that we need to live out our true identity and that our activities would match that identity. So powerfully display your glory here at Soma downtown right now. I pray you'd edify the entire body, not just part of it, for the work of ministry. So I pray to you that you would use me right now. You speak powerfully through my weakness. I pray you'd speak through my sin, my shortcomings, my setbacks, areas where 
there may be suffering, I pray that, God, you would use me powerfully right now, that your word would prick consciences, that it would instruct us, delight us, and move us to action, to get off the bleachers and get in the game and do the work of ministry for your glory, Jesus. Amen. So Kent said that I just became an administrator, so I feel like a life, I just feel weak right now. So the, I'm preaching from... When he asked me to preach on this message, I said, you know, like, I'm not killing it in this area, right, of letting God's power shine through my weakness. So I want to share a little bit about the hiring process that I went through and an important lesson I I got from it. So I was interviewing to be an administrator at two different employers. Um, Let's just call them employer one and employer two. Employer one, their first two questions were this. They said, and they're kind of standard questions, you could even guess. What academic training do you have that qualifies you for this position? Like, what's your degree that qualifies you to be an administrator? And then the second one was, what experience do you have as an administrator? So my degree is not specifically in building level administration, and my experiences are having been a teacher and some other things, but never a a principal. At the other school... First two questions. Dave, what do you feel like God has called you to do in this life? Well, I can answer that. The second question was, how has God been preparing you for this opportunity? So, set one of questions made me feel, it got me in a scarcity mindset where I looked inside of me and I thought, I don't have what it takes to do this, to build a school that glorifies God. It is not in me. I am powerless. Those two questions. It forced me into this flesh-based, me-based thinking. The second school set of questions had a glorious, beautiful effect on my mind that I thought, hey, maybe God has called me to do something in administration. And he has been preparing in me, preparing me along the way, along the last few years. So I think that what I learned in interviewing for, with two different schools that have two different dispositions towards looking for who's qualified to do a job. One of them made me feel like I was not enough. The other one made me feel like God was sufficient and powerful in my weaknesses. One of them got me focused on me. I felt kind of like this, (laughs) like I wasn't enough. And the other one kind of opened me up to how God could use me. One of them was me focused and one of them was God focused. I think this ability to reframe our perspective is helpful for the series that we're in. As Kent has called us to build the body, I think it's important that when you look yourself in the mirror and you think about that you're a member or you're part of Soma downtown, I think how we see ourselves will determine whether we're going to really build into this message that we're all called for the work of ministry. Kent, last week, he said, get off the bleachers get in the game, and build the body of Christ in Indianapolis, essentially. And you may think like me in that first interview that you don't have what it takes to be useful in this body. You compare yourself to people's giftings, and you think, I don't have anything to offer here. I'm you know, not even consistent in my faith yet. You think because of your sins in the past or present, your shortcomings, your suffering, your, your struggle, you think that you just an obstacle in this congregation. But I want to argue today 
from Ephesians 3.20 that our weaknesses are essential for the task of building the body of Christ because God's power works through our weakness. So what makes you feel useless may actually what makes you most useful to this congregation. The way you become part of the body of Christ is not through going and getting some degree in, in Christian theology and then getting experience. Right? He calls us to himself in Christ and then he equips us for the work of ministry. So we kind of walk out and learn by trusting in him through obedience. So the problem that Kent laid out for us last week is this. Essentially, we view church in, the, in 21st century America, we view church like a lot of the members of Planet Fitness view exercise. Now, I could rail against Planet Fitness for quite a while. And I know, I'm sure there's people that go there. Not everyone who goes to Planet Fitness is bad. Planet Fitness is bad. So, um, so it's a no-judgment zone. They don't allow personal training. They recently prohibited that anybody would be encouraged and trained specifically to grow um, in their health and in their exercise. You're not allowed to be a lunk at Planet Fitness, which means someone who grunts and beats their chest or uh, drops weights that are heavy. No strenuous exercise. That makes people feel inadequate. There's also a cheap joining fee. So what I would say, it's low cost, low reward. Um, And you get free pizza. I mean, come on. Who doesn't want free pizza at a gym? So I I see something powerful here, though. They They have essentially copped out, and I think that this consumeristic cheap and individualistic approach to fitness doesn't work to work the doesn't work to build the body physically and it won't work to build the body spiritually that's the aim of this series we want to build the body at soma downtown we want to grow in strength unity and maturity whether that is an increase in number we don't really care we don't want to be tossed to and fro we want to be a mature body of believers so that when people come they say wow that group knows one another they love one another and that's what we want to be true of us. So we got the wrong view of church, right? You know, we say, I'm going to church. We view, we view it wrong. We are the church. It's not a building. It's not a program. It's not a paper. It's a people purchased by the blood of Christ in the world where to march forth and proclaim his excellencies. That is a paradigm shift. Another reality is what, like Kent said, with the servers at a restaurant, I'm sure some of you are familiar with the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule. So that it's that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. It's just true with us. It's true at Soma downtown, whether we want to admit it or not. And I think that um, we're all all part of the problem in some way. We're not pointing fingers here, but 20% of the people do 80% of the work. There's a minority that does a majority of the work. Ephesians 4.12 says that the pastors are to equip the people for the work of ministry. It doesn't say that the pastors are to equip 20% of the people for 80% of the work of ministry, right? So these are uh, areas where we're products of the culture. I think that we misunderstand what ministry is. We're doing ministry when we're loving our kids. We're doing ministry when we're helping a friend move into their dorm. We're doing ministry when we're bringing people a meal after a baby. We're doing ministry when we're encouraging someone. When we're, I had someone come up to me before first service, and he said, let me pray for you. And I, 
he like held me tight, which isn't <laughs> what I'm used to. But it really ministered to me that he came up and hugged me and prayed for me. I was like, wow, he's doing ministry. And you don't have to be in this building to do that. So we have a wrong view of ministry. We have a planet fitness approach to building the body. And the fourth problem is what I want to talk about today. That we view our inadequacies as obstacles to the building of Christ's body when in fact those inadequacies and weaknesses are opportunities for God's power to work through us. I think that when we feel weak, inadequate, like we are coming short of what we need to be, that's an opportunity for God's grace to work through us to others. And as I said, I'm preaching from a spot of weakness. I love teaching. I glory in being up here. I could preach for three hours with like two people left here. I would enjoy that. That's fun to me. But if you, I don't know if any of you noticed, during the passing of the peace, sometimes like I'll just go to the bathroom. I'm like, I'm going to fix my hair. <laughs> you know, I've been at a different church in the past in college. They play the song. It's like, all right, time to go. I love preaching and teaching. I love things where I'm in control. But just being present with people and MC is petrifying to me. Getting to know someone and their problems, getting to know their story, I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how to counsel someone that's going through something really difficult. Like if I do a strengths finder, they don't say, you have a priestly gift. Um, you're just great at being present with people. I don't even know how to do small talk, I feel like. Sorry if I talked to you during Passing of the Peace and I asked you like some weird question. Um, so I, I'm stepping out here trying to be vulnerable and say God wants to work through whatever your weakness is. Maybe you don't know how to read the Bible that well. Or you have no idea how to pray. Or you're, you're still not even sure if you want to be a Christian. I would just want to say to you that you have a, a spot at this table and God wants to work powerfully through you to build up his body. You don't need training and you don't need a degree for this. This is not like anything else we do. Imagine if you walked into your job and said, I have no training or experience but a lot of desire, right? God is paradoxical. He builds his kingdom not the way the earth builds their kingdom. So here's my outline. I hope that you, you catch the problem that we, th we think we don't have what it takes. I think Ephesians 3.20 is the answer. Here's my outline. First, I want to show you the truth that we are actually powerless to build in our own strength. Point one, powerless. Point two, God is powerful. We know that in the abstract, but we, do we know it experientially? And then third, I want to show you a pattern um, in the Old Testament about how God can work through your weakness. So point one, powerless. Point two, he's powerful. Point three, his power through your weakness. Okay, now to the text. Ephesians 3.20. You've probably seen this in like a cool, uh, on the Bible app, you can now make it into like a little image. There's just lots of Ephesians 3.20. You could put it on a billboard, on a coffee mug, on a shirt. It's exciting. It's kind of a rah-rah verse. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Beautiful verse. Let me give you just a little bit of context. So this is in chapter 3. In Ephesians, there's two halves. There's two apps. One through three is, the, is describing what God has done and who he is. Four through six is describing what we do in light of that truth. So this is coming at the end of one through three, describing who God is and what he has done. This is called a doxology, which means an expression of praise or worship. 
It's meant to take your mind that's focused on the horizontal, the worldly, whatever your circumstances or problems are, and turn them upward. It's like raising a toast and trying to, it's like that moment in the song where uh, the beat drops or where you're just raised beyond your own circumstances. So that's what chapter 3 verse 20 is doing. In chapter 1, he's talking about predestination, and he's praising God for electing a people for his own praise. In chapter 2, he's talking about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. And in chapter 3, he's talking about how the message of the cross isn't just for God's people in the Old Testament, but it's actually extending out to all the nations, the Gentiles. In verses 3, 14 through 19, you see Paul praying for the church at Ephesus that he would strengthen the inner man, that they would know the height and depth and breadth of the love of God, that they would be strengthened internally to know the unknowable, to describe the indescribable. So after this prayer, he's just caught up like God is awesome. He's lit up about who God is, and he's worshiping him. So as I've been studying this week, I've sensed some incongruency in what is true and what my experience is. I've thought, wow, I have a power available to me through the Spirit that I kind of am not experiencing, right? Have you ever read something and it just kind of flies over your head? It's like water passing through a pipe. You're like, I bet that's true, but like I still have to mow the grass. I bet that's true, but like I got a lot to do today. You, You can't really experience it. It's not helpful because it's not part of your reality. You know... I think it would be foolish if we don't tap into power that's available to us. On a horizontal perspective, we do this. We don't, if you have to mow the lawn today, you're not going to go be like, I've got to sharpen the scissors. Here we go. It's like, no, you would use the power that's appropriate for the task. You probably drove a car here because that's the power available to you. You wouldn't ride a bike on 465, for example. Use your cell phone, not a landline. You can... <laughs> These are things that are obvious. I think an obvious truth is that God is powerful and he could work through our powerlessness, but we don't often tap into this. You know, whatever your weakness is. For me, I said it's just passing of the peace moment. I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk across the room. Is God powerful in that? Um, Whatever your weakness is, I think there's a power that you can tap into and it doesn't match our experience. You may think, Paul, you saw Christ in person. You saw the risen Christ or you may think, oh, I, Moses could understand this, or Joshua in the Old Testament could understand this. Our lives don't feel like miraculous, like this text is describing. And I think the reason that we're not able to digest this and let it assimilate to us is because we're so focused on the horizontal. So if you look at the verse 320, it starts by saying three words. It says, now to him. Our mindset often is now to us. So instead of erasing our gaze, like we prayed in, in the prayer for city renewal, that he's the best at health care. It's hard to lift your glance. We have this now to us mindset. We change the pronouns. Functionally, we, we are caught up in our circumstances and our, pro, and our problems and what's going on with us. So I think this now to us mindset is, makes us powerless. That's my first point. A now to us mindset makes us powerless. And I want to say it makes us powerless in four ways. It makes us blind, deaf, paralyzed, and dumb. What I mean by blind is, well, just being born as a sinner, you're born blind. 
You, you are not aware of your need. So you cannot see the glory of the light of Christ. You look to, when I, I didn't become a believer until I was 21, when I was growing up in high school, there was a few guys on the football team that would talk about Jesus. I just didn't care. I was like, oh, cool, Jesus. That was my, the extent of my doxology. Cool, Jesus, right? But something happens that's a profound mystery that one day or over a season of period, you look to Christ, a crucified Savior on behalf of the world, and you think, wonderful, I'm in. You're blind, but now you see. It said in the first service that explaining the light of Christ to someone who's in darkness is like explaining colors to a blind man. This is a profound mystery that someone would see a Christ that his wounds actually heal me. If we can't lay that out in a visual, it's you see him, you were blind, and then all of a sudden there's a profound spiritual vision that you then have. So that's one type of blindness. The other is for, for us who are in Christ, who are believers. We've seen the light of the gospel, but we live, we live like legally blind. We're not fully blind. And so we, we think that we can do tasks that we weren't made to do. We're also unaware of things that are obvious when we read Scripture. So something like Psalm 119, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we often neglect the light that is revealed in Scripture. Now to him who is able, but we say now to us. Another way it makes us blind is that we think that we could do tasks that we were never made to do. We weren't made to build the body of Christ on our own strength. We're, we're to build God's kingdom in God's way with the power that he provides. We don't have that power within us. So a now-to-us mindset, just thinking horizontally, makes us blind. I also think it makes us deaf, meaning that when the voice of God is being preached or listening to a podcast or just reading the Bible, we have our fingers in our ears. The words that could heal us and save us and build up the body over time, we plug our ears. And I think often in our culture, it's this mindset that you just listen to your inner voice. The sheep hear his voice, and they, they know who it is by the sound of his voice. You know what's, when something rings of truth. Our final authority is the word of God, not our internal voice or some voice from culture. Ralph Waldo Emerson has a quote that I think is toxic if we're to really build the body at Soma Downtown. He said, do not seek for things outside of your help, out of yourself. Do not have a now-to-him mindset. Have a now-to-me mindset. He said, I like the silent church before the service begins better than any preaching. That type of mindset is how you kill the body. I think being, having a now-to-us mindset makes us uh, deaf. I think it makes us blind, and it also makes us paralyzed. When you realize the immensity of the task of building up the body, it really hits you that you don't have the strength uh, we can get frozen. Whatever it is for you that you think God has maybe gifted you in, it's, it's easier just to stay in your seat. I said at the beginning, we need to get in the game. We need to do the work of ministry, get involved in other people's lives. I mean, it's even, I, I feel weak even right now looking out. I don't know a lot of people, and I've been at SOMA for five years. I did an internship with SOMA this summer, and I don't know a lot of people. Do you? I bet for you, ask yourself, how many people do actually know here? Is there anybody here in this body, if we're actually family, is there anybody in this body you could call if your car broke down? 
Or if you're out of town and someone needed to check on your house, would you only call your biological family? Or is there anyone in the family of Christ you could call? We're a young church. We tend to do things our own way and go our own direction. And I know I do too, but I don't want to stay that way. I don't want to be paralyzed by a now-to-me mindset. So we can focus on ourselves. We can be paralyzed. We can be blind. We can be deaf. And lastly, I think we're dumb. Dumb in the sense that we're mute. We're completely incapacitated as a body when we focus only on ourselves and we start with the horizontal, the earthly, instead of trying to have a disposition of doxology and looking upward. We won't cry out in prayer. If you're in the bleachers at a game, what do you pray for? If you're in the game, if you know, life is war for you and the bullets are flying and, and someone is thinking about leaving a spouse or if someone's, um, their child is, is wanting to leave the faith or something in your life, if you're not involved in other people's lives, you won't have anything to pray for. If it's only about grandma being healthy or your friend's foot getting better, like our lives need to intersect a little bit more than they do. I think our lives touch sometimes. So if you think how a bridge is built, now someone's an engineer and is going to tell me I'm wrong afterwards. I would imagine that if you just had the beams just barely touching, if a bike drove over that bridge, it'd be fine. Right? But if a semi-truck if the semi-truck of life comes over our life bridge, it's going to crash. But if you cross the beams, if they intersect a little bit more, I think that's what God is calling us to, a life where our lives intersect more with one another. Whether you're in college or whether you're married, um, I think that we are called to be the body. We're called to be a family and know one another. If we don't know one another, we're going to be dumb. We're not going to cry out in prayer to God. John Piper says the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. We don't just come to church to come to MC and do our own thing. We're called to be in one another's lives. Okay, so you're powerless to build the body. Good? God's powerful, though. Let's move to that. So as I said, this is doxology language, an expression of praise and worship. So right now, I want to try to do something impossible. Turn your gaze from what's going on today, what you need to get done, the hard conversations you have to do this week, and elevate your perspective upwards. So right now, we're on this little ball floating through space, hurling through the universe, and God sustains it in his hand. And it's nothing for him. And he wants to build the body at Soma downtown. So let's move our energy and thoughts and attention towards this triune God who created all things. I think we must cultivate the supernatural ability to look upwards even when the bullets are flying, even when our lives feel like they're falling apart. I think that we don't know enough about God and we know too much about social media. We know more about Instagram than this eternal God. We know little of redemption. We're too full of knowledge of self and know too little of God's powerful grace. So what I'm saying is I think we need theology in our lives. Every person in this room right now is a theologian. A theologian is not someone with an epic beard uh, that's been dead for a long time. You are a theologian, friend. And so when something happens to you, when you fail in trying to reach out to someone, you start to interpret what happened. Those interpretations are going to be motivated by whatever your framework for viewing reality is. You have a framework that helps you make all of your decisions, that operates that determines how you operate within a given day. 
So when we say, I just want to love God, I don't need to know everything about him. That's like saying to my wife, honey, that's great that you like this for your birthday, but I don't really want to know anything about you. You like this restaurant? I don't care. I love you. It just doesn't make sense. Try doing that to your friend when they are sharing their heart with you so you can grow in knowing them. That's how a relation form, relationship forms is learning facts about them and then experiencing those facts over time. So we need theology, not just a, a dead knowledge in our heads, but a warm affection in our hearts that we can worship. Not just knowing about God, but actually knowing God and walking through the path of life, trusting in him. So I want to share just a couple attributes of God with you that I think will help build our body. The first one is God's aseity. God's aseity. And I think that his aseity is more than your neediness. He is self-existent, self-sufficient. He needs nothing from man. God doesn't take out loans. He doesn't call people for counsel. There's no banks in heaven other than his. He has a treasury of inexhaustible riches, and he can always give. He never runs out of resources. We're not like that. We're limited. God's unity is more than our contradictions. This is number two. God's whole being, all of his attributes are never in contradiction. While it may seem that the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are different, his attributes are in perfect proportion. There's no contradiction. This body, Soma Downtown, needs this for strength. We have contradictions within our body. We're not all moving in the same direction. We don't have the exactly same agenda. We're not looking at the same exact vision always. We need his unity to unify us. God's immutability is more than our inconsistency. God cannot change in his being. I change my mind a few times in a given half an hour. We all change our minds. God is immutable. He keeps his promises. He's faithful to Soma downtown. God's glory. God's glory is so much brighter than the little flashes of glory that we see on earth. The creative brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself, it far exceeds our little moments of fame that we pursue. God's beauty and perfection. God is the possessor and sum of all desirable attributes. Lastly, God's love and mercy. God eternally gives of himself to others. He is good to those in misery and distress, and he is good to those who deserve punishment. His love, his mercy far exceed ours. As a parent, sometimes I've said, I've had it. I can't do this. It never happens to God. His mercy, his love is inexhaustible. And, and he's powerful. So we're powerless. He's powerful. Lastly, I want to end by giving you a picture of how his power comes to us. If we're powerless and he's powerful and we have access to that, to him, Ephesians 3.20, if you look at the end, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Paul literally had to make up language there in the Greek. He doesn't say more. He doesn't even say far more. He says far more abundantly than we can ask or think. So we may, God, we may go to God for just like a, God may have some grace. It's like a little, <laughs> a little lid. Our ability to ask often is like this little bottle cap. But he wants to give us so much more than that. We would ask for our, our daily bread and water, but he wants to give us a feast. God is gracious. He's a prodigal God. He is inexhaustible in his mercy and love. And his ability to answer far exceeds our ability to ask. So how do we get a hold of this? 
How does his power start working through me and my weaknesses? What does this look like in my MC? What does this look like in my Monday through Friday? With my leisure hours, how could I be part of the body rather than just doing my own thing? So the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, I find to be so helpful for this. And as I said, I just became an administrator. I'm continually being called out beyond my experience and training. And I feel that way at SOMA sometimes. I don't know as many people as I think I should know for being here as long as I have. But I feel like Joshua gives me hope. Joshua and this story in Joshua 6, if you want to turn there, the story about the walls of Jericho has, been, has turned my thoughts upward to a God as powerful in my powerlessness. Essentially, the book of Joshua is the Ephesians of the Old Testament. And what I mean by that is in both Ephesians and in Joshua, God has promised something to his people that they don't yet own. They're not able to touch what God says is theirs. So he says to us in Ephesians 1 that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Everything that you could ever want, Christian, is yours. It doesn't feel true, right? So he says to Joshua, all the ground that your feet touch, all the ground that I promised Abraham, it's yours. But when Joshua comes to the edge, after they've traveled 40 years in the wilderness, when Joshua comes to the edge of the promised land, he sees a gigantic walled city called Jericho. So he sees an obstacle to what's his, his inheritance. Someone is living in it. So he's not experiencing what God says is true for him. So he's left the slavery of Exodus. He's, he's traveled 40 years in the wilderness, and now it's time to claim what is rightfully his. So this story has been helpful to me in, in thinking about how Soma downtown can build the body. So let's look at it. It starts by now the gates of Jericho. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Now mind you, it didn't. Jericho is a fortified city that is not in his hands. But God is saying it's in your hands. The reason for that is that God exists outside of time. He, C.S. Lewis says he's like a filmmaker. He can see every clip of the movie and hold them both in his hands. So we experience time right now in successive moments. God is able to see both the obstacle and the overcoming of that obstacle at the same time. Yet we can only see one part. This is a profound mystery that we must take by faith and just trust the promise. You can't prove this, that God exists outside of time and can see both. We take it by faith. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once. So even though I've already delivered it to you, I'm giving the instructions to you on how it can be yours. So this is the paradox that we feel, Soma downtown. The, the body of Christ is already built. Now build it. The battle is yours. It's won. Now go fight. You see this pattern everywhere in Scripture to work out what God has already worked in. This doesn't make sense horizontally. It's God's pattern, though. We take it by faith and we walk in it. He says, march around the city once with all the armed men and do it for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark, which is the representation of God's presence. And on that seventh day, just like on the seventh day of creation, coming to the end of a thing, march around the city seven times, so this number seven keeps reoccurring, with the priests blowing the trumpet. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. 
Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So I see four things that are helpful for us as we try to build the body at Soma Church. We see God's pattern and how he gives his power to his people. We see his promise coming to us powerfully and him actually changing circumstances, which if we're honest, that's why we don't pray that much. We don't actually think it'll do something. It feels weird to like get on your knees or close the door and ask God to do something. Joshua probably felt like, yeah, let us go find a way to scale these walls. Let us go set up a meeting for how we can do this. Um, You know, it's easier to do that. So Joshua had to stop and listen to God's plan. So here's the first thing I think that's helpful for us. As we seek to get involved in one another's lives, whether it be through studying scripture or praying together or just sustaining one another in the difficulties of life, we're going to come to areas of resistance. We're going to come to walls that feel unscalable. Joshua and his men were deaf, dumb, and blind to how they could possess what was already theirs. You must remember this about God. He exists outside of time, like I said. And so he's able to see both the obstacle and the overcoming. So when we see a wall, we need to be able to, instead of now to us, be able to lift our minds upwards and say, okay, I'm willing to admit that I'm down here on the dance floor. God's on the balcony, and he can see things that I can't. It's like Jason Bourne talking to someone and they've got that little earpiece in because he's able to see things that they can't. God is giving us in this book right here, we have this precious doxological statement in 320. He's telling us something that we have not experienced in our horizontal lives and we're to take it by faith. He's saying that wall seems huge to you, but it's nothing for me. So whatever that wall is for you and getting out of your comfort zone and getting in the game of doing ministry in this church We're going to come to impassable walls. It's not going to be an easy road to build. It's not going to be pizza and no personal training like Planet Fitness. It is difficult to build the body. People are going to irritate you. You're going to irritate other people. There's no perfect church. I heard someone say this. There's no perfect church, and if it did exist when you got there, it was no longer perfect. (laughs) Right? We're an imperfect body serving a perfect Savior who stood in our place for our sins, and he's building the body when we step out in, in faith and his power. So we're going to come to walls that are securely barred. God has promised us deliverance. He said to Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we could name all these things in culture like only 5% of the world's Christian. We could get everyone in a chicken little tizzy. But God is going to build his church, even when it seems like failure is the only possible outcome. God makes the situation look so bad that by our human strength, nothing's possible. I want to challenge you to start praying the Ephesians 3.20 prayer, which is, God, do something so significant through Soma downtown that when we look back in the future, the only way we can explain this is that you worked powerfully through us. Through all of our youth, through all of our immaturity, through all of our disunity, you were strong. Your immutability, your unchanging nature worked powerfully through us. I remember meeting with Kent and a small group of people. I imagine at least a couple of you were were there a few years ago in a Fountain Square apartment. And we were praying for this just idea of Soma Church downtown. And I remember Kent was God's faithful man to to be the Joshua and lead forward. And all I saw was Jericho walls. I'm like, how are we going to do this? 
I remember praying through the Lord's prayer that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. And now I see this, this room full of people that God heard us call out to him and all I saw was obstacles and Kent was willing to walk in faith and see opportunity. So God has promised to build the body and we can, even though it doesn't always feel true, we can walk into that knowing that he's going to do it. The third thing I see in the Jericho wall story is it's a long march. Now, they were only seven days. I wish every wall that is in my life would just fall down in seven days. My fear during, like, passing, the pe- passing of the peace, boom, seven days, I'm free from it. I don't think that's how it works. If you're addicted to something, if you have some habit in your life that you're trying to break free from, we just get stuck. It's cords wrap around us whether depression is a regular rhythm in your life, whatever it is that's going on with you that's a sin or suffering or a setback, some sort of shortcoming that you think, I can't be part of this church. I don't even have my life together. You're welcome here. (laughs) You're welcome here. And God, it's not a, a march that we go alone either. It's not a march that they're doing on their own. I just imagine Joshua with these people, and he's supposed to be the leader, and I, I'm sure he is trusting God, but by day three, they're marching for seven days. By day three, I'm imagining people are starting to get sick of this battle plan that makes, like horizontally, makes no sense. I imagine people wanted to give up. I imagine people were losing faith, and I can picture... You know, I'm sure Joshua, the Joshua phrase for Ephesians 3.20 is essentially be strong and courageous for the Lord is going to fight for us. For the New Testament believer, our battle's spiritual. Don't go kill any Amalekites or Moabites and try to clear out God's promised land. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or imagine. So he says, guys, we're not able to bring down these walls. God is able not only to bring down these walls, but God is able to give us far more than just Jericho. So I think that this served as a powerful lesson for them. They walked through this process where when they looked back and they had to battle more groups of people in the promised land, I think it was a powerful lesson for God's people to learn this pattern, that it's a, it's a march by faith. They didn't just sit next to the, the city. They, they walked. So I think that the, the application point for us guys is that we walk towards what seems most difficult sometimes. What seems to be our constraint may be the channel that God wants to work through. Lastly, you see how the story ends. The walls collapse when they shout out to the Lord on the seventh day. On that seventh day, they go around seven times, they blow the trumpet, and they shout. And through shouting, they weren't dumb mute. They shouted to God. God heard their cry, and he did something. That's been his... His character throughout the entire scriptures. That's been his character in the world. Not just in the word, but in the world that we see that God hears his people's cries that are motivated by the spirit and he powerfully works through it. It's called divine concurrence. I take a step of faith and I cry out in faith and he works through it. I don't just sit on the couch and pray and expect him to like move me magically. I'm doing it and he's doing something through me. We're both working at the same time collaboratively. So I imagine this had to be a huge lesson for the people of God early in their journey under Joshua's leadership. We are a young church trying to make a difference. We believe the gospel changes everything, and we want to see the city redeemed, transformed by King Jesus. We really do believe that the gospel changes everything. 
And so I think that when they saw the walls collapse, they were like, wow, this actually works. God actually can do what he said he's going to do. And I think that we're, we're coming to a point in our church's life where we're coming to moments where we could have periods where we don't grow in maturity or don't grow in unity or don't grow in number. And God is calling us into a moment where we cry out, and march by faith, and I think that we're going to see walls fall down. I think that we're going to see people saved. I think we're going to see people discipled. We have this five-year vision to see all these MCs pop up over the, all over the city. And I think our, our catalyst, our mindset should be that we attempt great things for God and, and expect great things from God, that he wants to work through this body at Soma Downtown. So guys, don't run away from these challenges or these walls. Draw near to that which seems most impossible given your seeming inadequacies. Embrace the long march. It may be decades for us. We have crosses to bear. We have thorns in our flesh that make us feel weak and inadequate. But in our weakness, God's strength can shine. And I think, like I said, we should expect walls to fall. The power of catching this lesson in the history of God's people enabled them to defeat their other enemies. And I think if we're able to learn this lesson to march, to see walls fall in our own personal lives, things that make us feel stuck, I think that we as a church are going to grow in power, going to grow in, in unity and strength because we see that God builds the body through our weaknesses when we cry out to him for power. So ultimately, the story of Joshua points to Yeshua. The story, Joshua's just a pointer. He's not the hero in the story. The hero is Jesus. He makes the walls fall. That wall that separated us from God, that made us blind to the light of Christ, through Christ's death on the cross, it is separated. And we're able, into the, we're able to enter into the presence of the Holy of Holies to be present with God, to have peace with God. Not just peace with God, but peace with one another. Jesus has made that a possibility. With, with only the Old Testament, we're left wanting more. We're given a vague picture in Joshua, but in Ephesians, we see that God has reconciled man to himself through the blood of Christ. And what does that look like? Each week at, at Soma, we celebrate communion. Communion is a meal for those who are believers, who Christ has become their everything, their Lord, their Savior, their treasure. They see that God is able to save the worst of sinners. God is able to bring people who are far off from him, near to him by the blood of Christ. And so Christ with his disciples, he said, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood shed for you. So we eat the bread in remembrance of his sacrifice on the cross, we drink the cup representing his blood, that that's what makes us new. That, that's what makes us part of his body. It's not by earning it. It's not by an academic degree or training experience. It's by the blood of Christ, his power working through us, working through the cross. And so if you consider yourself a believer and, and Christ is your treasure, come, enjoy this meal with us. So let me pray. God, in looking to you for salvation, we initially saw only obstacles. We see that Christ has cleared the way for us to have a relationship with you. Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross. As I've been praying for this group of people for the last week, I pray for them now that they would see you, Jesus, as true, good, and beautiful, that your strength is sufficient for their weakness to build this body. I pray you would build us in strength, unity, and maturity. 
I pray, God, that people would be willing to pray with one another to move out of their comfort zones and get in the game and do ministry for your glory. So thank you, God, for the gift of Jesus. May we enjoy this gift. We pray in your name. Amen.